0: Live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. David Costello, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, you, you've, um, you've, you're quite entrenched in um, the Sydney running scene. Um, ben Liddy recommended I um, call you up and have a chat. And he was a huge fan of your work and really trusts um, the advice you give a lot of his runners in terms of um, strength training. Um, you work pretty closely with Matt Hudson, Tom DeCanto, um, and the guys from Run Crew, and and a lot of the other runners up in Sydney. Um, the name of your um, business is Right Fit PT, um, and um, you, as I understand, because I've, I've listened to a few podcasts with you on on that um, that you were a keen basketballer. Um, and, and, and love run in, um, and then um, yeah did your personal training courses, um, a Bachelor of education in human movement, and a level one in Australian strength and conditioning, coaching. Um, yes, yeah, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Oh pleasure, mate, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Um, how are you coping with the current um, uh, climate that the world's in at the moment? uh yeah it's an interesting one isn't it um
1: yeah. just just adjusting to it like everyone else
0: i guess Um
1: started doing I, I had a few weeks off in terms of work um i i kind of decided just to stop things uh, when it got to that real sticky point a few weeks ago and just sort of isolate myself for a couple of weeks um just yeah. at home with my wife and uh, my six month six month year old baby daughter daisy um and then this week, I've sort of started doing some um, one-on-one outdoor PT stuff, which is, um, at the moment, that's still legal yep. um, and, and encouraged. So that's yep. actually been going really well. It's it's actually nice to be uh, outside in the outdoors and seeing other people out there exercising and using the environment a bit more and got plenty of equipment out there. So the session's actually going pretty well.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah, I've sort of been in the same boat, like, um, as a physio, I sort of had two weeks where I was, um, I just um, completely just said, no, I'm not doing it anymore. I, I just felt too much in that gray area. Yeah. Even though it was regarded as a, an essential service, it just felt felt really hard, um, a tricky position. Um, and then, um, yeah, it's probably just been the last week where I've started to, um, you know, um, uh, you know, focus more on the exercise sort of aspect of, of certain runners' programs, and and see people one on one, or whether it's through telehealth or online consults. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, and um, I think people just you you realize that.
1: Oh, I have anyway that the importance isn't necessarily the the facility or the the gym so much. Like it helps, but yeah. um, it's just that it's the contact. It's just seeing someone yep. and having the. I think number one is that accountability like yep. someone that you're going to go and see and you've got the appointment and you, and you just get it done. Cause I mean, even myself and I know with other people that as soon as it's on their own, own accord, people start dropping those little sort of, you know, 1% percenters yep. out and it just sort of drifts off. So and
0: it's almost keeping, you know, a little bit of sense of normality as well in someone's life too. Yeah. The um, routine. Yeah. And, and even just for their mental, mental health, um, yeah just to keep that balance that I feel like they're still still um you know got yeah a half normal routine yep
1: <laughs> and for ourselves too
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly well uh like what, what sparked your interest in in this whole um industry and and yeah like um what drove you to become the professional that you are today
1: uh I've always been interested in i guess number one in sport like a lot of um a lot of Australians, especially Australian um, young boys, you know, as you're growing up, you yep. get into your footy and all that sort of stuff. These days, obviously, it's good to see girls getting more exposure to it too. Um, but, yeah, just started playing sport from very early age and um, athletics and soccer and basketball and a bit of rugby league and um, and just was always obsessed with whatever it was to do with sport or a sports, you know, an athlete or whatever it was. And, um, as I got kind of older and probably, I reckon it was probably the athletics, um, that kind of drove a bit more of an interest in, you know, the, the training side of things with plyometrics. You know, my brother used to get me doing a few plyometrics on a, on a Tuesday before track sessions, like frog jumps and bounds and all that sort of stuff. Um, And then obviously through running, you kind of start to develop an understanding of um, structure as well, like structure to a session, structure to a season, structure to whatever a year. Um, And then probably from there, um, basketball in my late teens, sort of mid-teens to late teens. Again, uh, similar to – I was listening to your podcast with um, Michael Nitschke the other week. Yep. And he, he was talking about the whole, you know, basketball's got the whole element of power and vertical jumps and everyone wants to jump and dunk and all that sort of stuff. So I was pretty obsessed with that. So I got me into, you know, the weights and the plyometrics and um, there wasn't as much information around back in my day. But, um, yeah, that's that's kind of – that's what sparked it all. And then I, I knew I liked sports science at school. That was probably my favourite favorite, um, subject and – yeah, it just sort of went on from there. And then um, kind of in my mid-20s, I decided to um, quit my office job and save some money to do a, a PT course and started doing PT. And that kind of went from just your general um, general sort of general public, sort of general person, general population, doing everything sort of weight loss, fitness, uh, muscle building. Um, and at the same time, I was kind of into – hypertrophy and trying to put on muscle and all that kind of jazz. And then yep. um, from there, I kind of started getting back into running in my late 20s, early 30s, just jogging around with clients and then going in a few fun runs and then remember that I used to be half decent at it when I was a kid. Yeah, um, And mm-hmm. my family all runs. And so I started getting back into running and then just through that, just started seeing this window for, you know, strength training and the the need for it and started doing it myself and then doing it with my brother and then just sort of seeing seeing the benefits of it and then i was training with um john Adderton and ben liddy yep for a while running with them when i sort of got into a bit more serious training and then yeah from there sort of started seeing a few of ben's guys and then a few of the run crew guys and now i've kind of got a few different athletes from all different groups in in sydney and a few um a bunch of online ones from around the country. So, yeah, it's just kind of gone from, excuse the pun, but strength to strength. And um, <laughs> I love it. Like, there's always, always something new to learn. And, yep. you know, I think everyone says this that's in this kind of industry and your industry as well. Like, you, in five years, we'll probably be doing things yeah. slightly differently. And yep. I was going through some old programs the other day and, yeah. From four or five years ago, and I was cringing, <laughs> and I was and I was actually almost scared to go through them because I knew I'd see some stuff that I <laughs> would just shake my head at. But I guess that's the same for yeah, coaching also- and all
0: those sort of fields. That's it. Same with everything. Um, yeah, and and like that's how you just, like I reckon that's how you just become. It's a sign that you are a good professional because you are sort of looking back on it, reflecting, and and like that learning process as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, we're, we're, like with a runner, um, what are the key fitness components that you look for in, say, a balanced, injury-free, sort of high-performing runner? Like what would the key sort of fitness components be that you've seen or noticed over the years when you see a runner that's performing at a high level, um, say, Mason Cohn or, or um, uh, Matt Hudson or Tom DeCanto um, or... Yeah, an injury that a runner that's not getting that injured. Like, what are some of their attributes um, from from a fitness component, kind of? Uh, I
1: guess there's
0: a lot of different
1: things. You know, yeah, there, and it's a it's quite a broad range or spectrum of people as well. You know, you get someone like you mentioned Mason. Yep. um, Any of those guys that are running four hundreds, eight hundreds, they come in the gym and they're already. Most of those guys and girls are great athletes, and and I just I generally watch them. Jump. I watch them land, uh, watch them move, take them through mobility, and and kind of try and suss out um any weaknesses, any imbalances, anything like that with you know screening modalities like the FMS and um and and then the other guys on the other end of the spectrum, like your marathon runners and your your 10k and above, they often come in and they don't move anywhere near as well. Yeah. Um. And I've noticed, uh, yeah, I've, I've noticed with the the good ones, they might not, they might not move well and they might be stiff in their back or, you know, things like that, but they seem to still gain strength quite quickly. Yep. So there's obviously a natural, a natural relative strength there Um, and they're often quite uh, elastic as well in terms of their sort of uh, recoil and you start giving them some plyos and you start seeing that. They uh they, they might not move well, but when they jump, they can jump quite well, and
0: yeah, all that yep. kind of stuff. Yeah, nice. And like, how, um, how important or how unimportant is it that a runner can't like, um, from your point of view, um, can jump like, um, uh, like should 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 um all runners be able to jump well, um, or or um, yeah, hop or skip, um. Like and if they if they can't like um uh is that something that you're trying to train?
1: I they don't need to be able to um, jump. A jump a jump can tell us something about someone's reactive strength or their yep. their raw power. Um, but when you're talking about sort of five k, ten k, and above, which a lot of the people I train are, your ability to jump isn't really um, that important. It's I, f- I find the low amplitude kind of plyometric work is more important. So yep, seeing how they skip, just uh-huh. in, like your basic jump rope, your basic skipping, things like that. Um, take compared from, to say a box jump. Yeah, compared to a box jump. Because a box jump is is a one-off power output. You know, it's, it's like lifting a, a weight quickly, like doing a clean or something like that. Yeah. Um, so a lot of runners don't actually have that raw force, raw power. Um but they may have the ability to reproduce smaller amounts of force for a, for a longer period of time. Yeah. So I do I like for runners to I prefer to start them out with things like jump rope and and just line hops and things like that and seeing how they look and how they move and um how they absorb force rather than how yep. they can how, how their maximal output is. Yep. And then you can kind of start you you do see it, you know you see some great movers and you see some real messy ones that can't even you know you jump over a hurdle with two feet and they don't know how to land properly and and that's why yep. it's important to start with very very basic basic exercises and once they've got the hang of those then you move them on to the next next progression yep. um yeah yeah no, so cuz I, yes.
0: nice. um, so I, 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 I i'm i'm a marathoner and i i've really um that's probably something that i've really noticed over Oh, the last five, six years with doing more and more marathon training is—I just can't jump. Like I, I've got no power, and it's something that, um, yeah, probably that um, over this time with um the world being affected by yeah COVID nineteen, I've sort of um doing less less um volume at the moment and sort of making a bit of an emphasis to work on my skipping, um, yeah. to try to to try to get a little bit more um of that um I suppose power and um uh, tendons, tendon strength back. Um, but it's really cool how you've just sort of mentioned there's, I suppose, a difference between box jumps and skipping. Yeah. Very different. Very different. Why? I mean, skipping is a, a low amplitude. That's a plyometric. You're repeating, repeating,
1: repeating, you jump, jump, jump. So yep. there's that, that recoil stretch shortening cycle going on yep. that you don't get with a box jump. It's just a one-off, you know, you can do a counter movement or a non-counter movement, which is where you bend down and then jump. Or you just start in a bent position and jump straight up they're yep. two different kind of box jumps or a seated box jump where you sit sitting down and then you jump up onto a box but they're all they're one-off power outputs and and you could do them for, not to go off on a little bit of a tangent but you could yep. use that as a a repeat power ability exercise so you could do something like normally i'd only prescribe three to five sets of three to five box jumps and you're going for it. It's a maximal effort. You're trying to produce the most force you can in a short period of time. Um, but you can then like sort of in the later stage of a program before we start to sort of taper off and peak, I've had a bit of success with um, the shorter distance and the middle distance guys with doing repeat power ability stuff where you might do um, in the strength world, they call them cluster sets where you do one jump or one clean
0: and then yep. you stop.
1: And you just wait five to 10 seconds and then you go again and then you wait 10 seconds and you go again. But you do a higher amount of reps, if that Uh makes sense. So you might do 10 jumps or 10 clean and jerks, whatever the exercise is, with a pretty strong weight if you're doing a clean rather than doing three at a medium sort of weight with no rest in between. And that just – so that might end up taking a minute and a half to get through. So that's you producing maximal force over and over and over for a period of ninety seconds, with those yep. little short breaks in between. And I've, I've found that's quite a quite a um, successful modality way to train people. But again, uh-huh. going back to what we're talking about in terms of the plyometric, it's not really a plyometric. Though. A plyometric is is you're skipping about, like you're bounding, the stuff yep. you see people doing on the track before they're. Um, sessions like your, your a skips your b skips your your russians straight leg bounds all that sort of stuff that's all that's all plyometric training and, sure. and i think that's i reckon that's underutilized yep in the um for people's strength training e- an easy one to throw in i know a couple of guys that on their monday easy run they'll go out and do a 40 minute run they'll run down to the oval and then they'll do their drills and they'll do plyometrics in there and then they'll jog home for 20 minutes or whatever it is that's a great way to get some extra like you were saying you're doing at the moment
0: yep. um getting some extra sort of
1: real specific speed power plyometric nice. work in
0: and like, say for the the runner that's just considering um doing all this strength training and say a runner that um if you did a movement screen or if, um your F, fms sort of um you're testing and you you notice that they probably weren't they weren't performing the plyos very well like um uh, and then say you were, um, do you liaise with their coach or do you liaise with their physio? And um, how do you go about uh, um, getting them to to start strength training? Um, um, do they, Do you even say, "I oh, don't do plyos yet or um, and you need some base strength first? Or like, how do you go about um, starting a strength program with a runner?
1: Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't... Um... Get someone straight into plyometrics. the The speed at which I do would depend on their their background and their event. Again, yep. going back to the comparison between the middle distance and the long distance, like definitely I wouldn't get the long distance guys into it. I'd start the long distance guys out with real basic um, movement based circuits. So, it, like to begin with, I would definitely do something like an FMS. Um, <sighs> I, but I, over the years, I've tinkered with different sort of screening processes, and what I find works best, as long as they're they're reasonably healthy and they can move okay, is I just get them straight into moving. I won't load them up, but I'll get them to do the movements they're going to do. I'll, yep. I'll look at them doing their mobility sequence. I'll teach them their their basic generic sort of mobility um sequence that they'll do before every session i watch them move i watch them do that you can tell straight away when people do their walking knee hugs and foot grabs and inchworms and well it's greatest yeah. you can tell straight away just from watching them do that where they're stiff and where they're imbalanced and then i might sort of if there's a specific area i can see gee they're really struggling with that that one i'll hone in on some more specific testing for that area um, and mm-hmm. then i'll get them to do you know you know grab a grab a bit of balsa wood or do an overhead squat with no weight Watch them, watch them move, see what's re- limiting their range, if anything is, if it's their ankles, their back, their hips, whatever it is. Um, because if it's their ankles, as you'd know, that you can just block, chalk their, uh, the back of their heel up with something and then you just see the squat changes yep. completely. Um, yeah. Other basic tests that I'll throw in the first session is just your, your basic physio ones that you do. Like you need a wall for the, for the ankle yep. range and, and with things like that, um, I know there's ranges out there that you're supposed to hit, but I, the first thing and the most important thing to me is just balance to make sure that there's a reasonable amount of balance from side to side and symmetry. Um, yep. So if I'm seeing someone who's only got a score of, you know, nine or 10 centimeters on their needle wall, but it's the same on both sides, I'm not as, I'm not so concerned. Um, yep. But I'm concerned if they've got 14 or 15 on one side and nine on the other, because obviously something's going on then. Um, so yeah, just go through the basic movement screens like that. Your, your Thomas test and all that um, for hip flex hip flexors and um, and then go through basic. I'd start with sort of basic circuits to begin with. Your squats, your split squats. You teach them how to hinge properly, so they later on they can do a deadlift or an RDL. That's often a really tricky one to get people to to learn how to move in that way, just to hinge from the hips without squatting.
0: Um, so you're going over technique yeah big on technique like and i won't
1: i won't let people do an exercise if if their technique's not not on it and there's been times where i've just gone that we're just we're just not going to be able to do a deadlift you're too compromised your back doesn't move in that way your hips don't move in that way let's let's just stick to doing our hamstring bridges or our swiss swiss curls or whatever it is for the hamstrings um and in terms of the jumping which is what we began talking about I, this is the, this is from the s and c world this is just doing your yep. force absorption stuff and the first stage is just teaching someone and watching them land so I'll, I'll just get someone to do a jump up and down on the spot just do one jump and show me how you land and then maybe jump up off starting on two feet jump up and then land on one for me and jump up yep. and land on one again and do both sides and see how they look um, might get them to jump off a very small like a six inch box and just just jump off it and land and i'm just looking at how they absorb and how they hit the ground and whether they're coordinated enough um and then yeah from there you just keep keep moving those progressions forward so i'll I'll definitely talk to the coach and and sort of get a feel for the coach's philosophy as well because um you know the running is the most important thing and if if that and that coach is their number one mentor and source of advice and so if if that coach doesn't want them doing um too much in the way of plyometrics then i won't go too far down the down the spectrum with yep. that I'll, I'll just stick to the basic stuff that you can't really you can't really shake your head at someone doing you know five sets of 30 seconds of skipping or you know, a couple of box jumps here and there but i won't go
0: yeah
1: crazy with hurdle hops and all that sort of jazz but um yep. I, i've never i've never had an issue with anyone from doing plyometrics in the gym um and i and i always go back to if you can take 180 steps a minute flat out for 2 to 4 minutes or you can do a marathon then surely your body can handle you know 10 yep. jumps 50 to 50 jumps in a session or something like that and at the end of the day the gym is like about building capacity so you can your body can tolerate more right so if you're not exposing it to greater loads then you're not actually going to get stronger
0: yep <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I just found this um, really good um, random control trial about two weeks ago, and it was on skipping. Yeah. Um, and it just mentioned that um, there was this one group, they all did the same distance running training, and then one group um, incorporated two to four times a week um, a bit of skipping in the warm-up of their session. And the, the skipping totaled to be about 10 to 20 minutes per week for 10 weeks. Yeah. And the end results were, were pretty amazing um, in terms of uh, the tendon stiffness, the Achilles um, tendon stiffness that increased by um, roughly 7% in the group that did the skip in um, their vertical jump Im- improved, um, yeah, roughly 5 10 to 7%. And, and their 3K time trial also improved um, compared to the other group that did the same, same training. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, it was, um, it was Pretty interesting. I mean, it's just one, one, you know, one percenter. But it it does. It, it's like a. I mean, it doesn't replace just going out um, and and training as a runner. But it shows that there is um, a benefit to adding it in there. But the art, I suppose, is adding it in and knowing how to schedule it in the week um, so that you're not overloading and getting yeah, it. yeah, exactly. And it's yeah, it's
1: it's uh, like skipping's also coordination. And I, I, I think a yep. lot of like, running is, there is coordination to it, you know, like you might not think so, you might take it for granted that it's just an easy sort of activity to, to complete and to it, you know, relative it it is. But if you watch, you know, you go and watch the Kenyans, they're always doing kind of some sort of rhythmic drill before yep. they're running, you know, their skips and they do it as a team and there's a group and you, you know, those yep. races where you run well and you just are in what what people call a great rhythm. You're just tapping, 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 and it feels effortless. And I think skipping does does teach you that, and it teaches you how to work, how to quickly apply force to the ground. And yeah, it's it's great, really simple exercise, and and you can do it anywhere, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and is there like with your um, baseline test when you're trying to assess where someone's falling short in um, their strength, like whether it's their calf, their quad? um strength. Um, do you have like some easy sort of um, tests that you do? Like um, you, you should be able to do certain amount of calf raises or a certain amount of squats um, at to be a, a robust kind of distance runner? Like do you have any sort of little quick sort of tests that you yeah, do? Yeah, I just well? kind of grade people yep. and, you know, sort of pass or
1: fail in terms of if if you can't do yep. a you know, like for trunk strength, you chuck them good. Down to do a plank. If if they can't yep. hold a plank for for sixty seconds, then I put them in the you know needs work category. So I know straight away yep. with my programming. We got to work on the trunk strength, anti-extension sort of work, um, or or it could be their upper body strength that's limiting them. Um, you know, a side plank, same sort of thing. I might do um, glute bridges. You got to be able to do kind of. You should be able to do twenty to twenty-five single-leg um, glute bridges. Um, each side, um, again, looking for imbalances, as, as I said before. So I see people who can do 25 to 30 on one side and then you give them a bit of rest and they do the other side and that they get to 15 to 20 and they're fatiguing on that side. So, you know, there's a bit of an imbalance there or they might just struggle altogether. You might get someone that comes in and can barely do 10 glute bridges and then you know, okay, <laughs> we're, we're in trouble there. with a bit of work to be done. I do a, um, a back, it's like a static back extension where I get them on the back extension machine and they have to hold themselves up where your legs are just strapped in yep. and your, your trunk and your upper body is completely off, just hovering. Um, that sort of looks at yep. your posterior chain. So your, your back, your, your glutes, your hamstring strength and same sort of thing as a plank. You know, if they're struggling after 20 or 30 seconds, you know, they're pretty weak in the backside through that posterior chain. Mm-hmm. Cuff calf, calf, uh, raises, I think, you know, the, the general sort of protocol is a single leg. You should be able to do about 25 each leg around that um which i yep. so many things you read that come up as standards and i have to admit like i don't see many runners that come in and i'm you know i trained some really good guys go- like runners and yep. and not many of them can do 25 single leg calf raises straight up you know yeah. like it's yeah. it's it's an interesting one but that's that's the uh, measure they've come up with is how much someone should be able to do? And do they
0: ever like those runners? Like they don't have um trouble in their foot or their Achilles no, or calf? No, no. Um, yeah, not not specifically.
1: Yep. Not I haven't seen. Yeah. I haven't really seen a the pattern there. No.
0: So yep. you might get some people
1: that can do it comfortably, but most of them, yeah, most of them will struggle to get to that twenty-five range on a sing on a single leg half yep. raise. Double leg, no, you'd be able to do thirty to fifty, no worries. But yeah, um, yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah, they're no, probably they're, similar to you. They're or they sort of sort of, sort of tests you do? Yeah, they're they're pretty similar. Like um, I always um, and, and then I do um, say twenty um, sit to stands on one leg off the yeah, yeah. bed, um, just for general sort of um, extensor strength um, but yeah, quad quad strength as well. But yeah, otherwise um, yeah, the the calf raises and um, yeah, and oh, and then I also do stuff like um, clams. So with a TheraBand around it. The, the knee um and you should be able to do uh, like a, like this isn't this is just off like clinical experience um that i've come up with some numbers but yeah you should be able to do about 30 um clam clam exercises on each leg just to get a measure of um you know a little bit a, a bit of an idea of their sort of hip hip um fitness yep. um uh yeah but you get a bit of that um from the side plank as yeah well, you don't it, so, yeah yeah' I have done' thrown that single
1: leg one in myself actually the last kind of year or so um it's quite a tough one you see yeah. big big discrepancies there from side to side i find
0: yeah and and even the way that people do it um so sometimes they look really really nice on one side and the other side looks yeah, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> um yeah but I suppose um like that what I wanted to get your ideas on was biomechanics as well. And, and how much emphasis you, you put on, um, the biomechanics of every runner because everyone runs a little bit differently. And, um, uh, you know, you get a lot of runners in, um, saying, Oh, I feel like I should be running this way and that way. And they feel like there's an ideal biomechanical sort of pattern to run. Um, how much emphasis do you put on biomechanics, and um, uh, when you talk to your runners that you treat? Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't. Again, go too far
1: down the, the rabbit hole with that one. I, I watch. I watch all my runners yep. race and run, and I know how most of them move. And I yep. just. I focus on the plyometric work, and how they land, and make sure they know. Mm-hmm. You know where to place their foot, how to get it under their center of mass, all that kind of work. Um, and with the the trunk exercises, we might do we might do some static trunk stability work where you've got to move move your arms but hold your your hips and your pelvis, your your trunk nice and still, and work on arm carriage and things like that. But I, I I just think if unless you've got like major flaws in your technique that are that are quite obvious and really need fixing like you you're landing you know a foot out in front of yourself and you're landing on you yep. know right out in front on your heel and obviously you don't want to be running like that and I, I find yep with the general public you're going to have a lot more of those things to work on but with an established runner that comes in the doors i try not to mess around with it too much um it's just if yep. there's anything that stands out like a sore thumb it's i would say more so it's their biomechanics when they fatigue that I might, I might try and yeah. that, that might signal where an issue is or a weakness is, or, you know, like some of the the yep. 400 runners that I train, you know, they'll film themselves in a race or there'll be footage of it. And you'll see that towards the end of the race, their arm swing goes crazy and, and they start carrying their arms across their body rather than straight forward and back or, um, their hips might start dropping or there might be more collapse through their, through their, um, they might get more dorsiflexion, they might lose that stiffness. They're the kind of things I would sort of associate more with my role in the biomechanics, but I, w- I wouldn't get people yep. outside, you know, videoing them and looking at their technique and all that kind of stuff. I kind of leave that to their coach or to someone who really specializes in that field because I think yep. there's a big difference in someone who yep. knows a bit about it and can, you know, waffle their way through it and someone who actually does it for a living and, and knows those little yep. things to look out for. What? What about yep. you? Yeah, I'm. I'm,
0: oh, I'm very similar. Like, um, so when, like, I, I, um, if I feel like if I watch someone run and then I feel like, oh, their pain is, um, could and, and it's a, a chronic injury and um, we've tried, you know, um, you know, strengthening and we've tried, uh, we've looked at their training and we don't feel like there's any sort of, um glaringly obvious sort of mistake there then um i've certainly um done like small tinkers to um a few athletes um um, biomechanics but they're very small um and it's only if i feel like it offloads a certain structure yeah okay are you talking Um, things like just like increasing cadence and things like that yeah 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 and and width of um like there's some knee pain I've, i've uh, like it, um and it's all so individual like um but yeah one runner i had last year um his knees were pr- pr- practically touching each other when he was running and um for three months we'd worked on strength and and slowly increasing his running but nothing seemed to help yeah. his knee pain um and then one small cue about running one foot either side on the on the white line and um and and, and increasing the width of his um gait when he ran and and suddenly he went from getting pain at 800 metres to yeah, not getting yeah. it at all um, in his knee. Um, uh, so for him, that slight um, change in how he moved obviously reduced the load on his knee. Um, but I think that chat that I had with Michael Nischke was really, um, I really enjoyed it because it really um, helped sort of structure my my belief on it all in that like a lot of people are sort of, Obsessing about biomechanics and and technique, uh, when you know perhaps the error they're doing is they're 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 doing uh, they're increasing their training too quickly, or they're not allowing for some some rest time or some easy days to absorb the training, or you know maybe one aspect of their their kinetic chain is too weak and it's not not absor- absorbing the force or not helping absorb yeah, the force. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree with that. It's. You're better off focusing yeah. on
1: something that you can actually have quite a good impact on, rather than something that largely, like a lot of the time, it's it's to do with their genetic makeup and their, you know, their limb length and you know their tibia length compared to their femur length, or their yes. they might be they might yep. be a bit knock kneed. So if someone's a little bit knock kneed, yes.
0: they're going to have those, and that's a it could be a structural yeah, structural like I mean, I know like, myself, yeah.
1: I've I've tried that. What you just said the. I've noticed that my legs um, are ducked and come too close together and I've tried to run either side of the line. And I I prescribe it as, I I would would describe it as um, you feel like you're running a bit like a footy player (laughs) when they've made a break down the sideline or something, you know, like you're a bit wider with your running gait. But then I look at my build and I think but I've got such thin hips that my legs aren't, they're always going to land a little closer than someone who's got wider hips, you know, like it's, or, yes. or if you've got long gangly yeah. arms, they're going to move differently to someone who's got nice short compact arms. And the way your your joints are structured, you, most people don't know how their joints are actually built. Like we're all similar, but we're all different. So your hips, your hip yes. capsule might not move yeah. as freely as someone else's, and, and that might be the, why yep. you stride out the way you do. Like there's just so many things that we don't actually we we can't fix or we don't know. That you're better off working on something, yep. as you said, that you can change, like the training load. And I agree with I agree with most of all of what Michael. I've been to a couple of his um, yep. uh, talks and stuff as well, and the way he looks at training load. And yep. I, yeah, that that's the biggest thing in in injuries. It's for me, it's building capacity for them in the gym, making them an overall stronger and better athlete. But if you're still making silly training yeah. errors, you you can't stop injuries.
0: I really like what you just said there about um, how everyone is so different structurally. Like um, there's a huge variance in terms of where people's, um, you know, you know, the hip joint, the ball and socket, like how that sits, like, you know, some people's um, uh, yep. socket of their hip is facing forward. Some people is facing more backward, like posteriorly. And then the angle at which your um, your femur, your thigh bone um, connects to the, the, the ball of the hip socket Um, is different on a lot of people so that's a structural change that we're not going to change and and that can be you know a reason why some people look different than others and um, uh, so like we should be running different it's just like with other sports how you know tennis servers they all serve differently or they look different as they serve or um, you know, people look different as they kick a football, yeah, it like, sure does. Uh, it's, and uh, the same as you just said, on, so like with basketball, on your makeup that's, as you know, well.
1: I love as well. And I look at those guys, and some of them don't have your typical, they all they they might shoot a jump shot differently, way differently than the next guy, but it still goes in the basket and they're not getting injured because just the way they're built, the way they move. You know, some of them land yep. knock kneed and, yep. in all kinds of terrible positions, but
0: yeah. And, and on that, like, I get a lot of people just coming in and they're absolute. like, I think they're they're too sort of hung up on this biomechanical, like, changing themselves and they're, they're thinking yep. about it way too much. Like, they're trying to think about three or four things as they run um, and it, they almost sort, sort of paralyze themselves and, uh, like, that they're, they're, information overload, it, it's... Well, um, they, they bounce them, from thing to thing. They're thinking about too they many They bounce from one idea to another idea the um, next week and the when, they never
1: stick to one cue yeah. you know one week it's my foot strike the next week it's my cadence the yep. next week it's my arm swing and
0: and and i think um there's a, an element of truth in that like as you do get fitter and as you string some consistency together over 6 12 months 2 years yeah. like your body naturally finds a more efficient way because that's how it gets faster like um it actually does become a, uh, a if you do some good training and some smart training and um, yeah, you know, well structured yeah, absolutely. training. I think your body learns to move it more effectively across the ground. Yeah, I also wanted to cover like a concept of um core stability. <laughs> like, it, a lot of runners come yeah. in and they go, Oh, I need to do sit ups. I need to, I need, to, yeah, like, um, how much do you sort of like what, what are your thoughts on core stability? How would you define that in your head? So, like, um, if you do a bunch of sit ups, like, how goal orientated or specific or transferable is um, improving like your your sit up strength and, and yeah, sit ups to improve your motion control as a runner
1: I, like, core strength. For me, I know what people. I think what people yep. mean when they tell me they want to improve their core strength. I think most people think, they I think most people are talking about their abdominals, and this this is all a bit common knowledge for for you and I. But for people out there listening, they might not know this. But yeah. they come in and yeah, they they think core is your sit ups yep. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I see core f- for, for runners as pretty much everything that's not a limb. So, and even, and even in some cases, like I, I, I would include yep. your yep. foot and ankle in your core work. I would include um, glutes, hips, um, back yep. extensors, abdominals, yeah all of that as core training. So I put it in the basket of nuts and bolts. That's what I call it in my my training sessions. So you might you might do core work for yep. your foot and ankle where you get the theraband out and you do your um, plantar flexion work and your eversion and inversion exercises, just your basic stuff. Um, like you said before, clams for the hips, um, your, your monster walks and your crab walks and all that kind of work. Yep. Hip flexor work, I think that gets left out of a lot of people's training. Um, so, banded hip flexors, strengthening exercises, side planks, when where yep. you involve hip flexors, um, abdominal work. Like, I still will throw in some crunches every now and then for people um, it, it, because you, you still do use, you know, you use your hip flexors, like I said, yep. and there is hip flexion in a sit up, there's, you know, trunk flexion. Um, so, I'm not, I'm not. I don't always just say no no abs at all, but mostly I probably work on when you're talking about the trunk, I would work on um, your anti-rotation work, your anti-flexion, anti-extension work, which is kind of these days it's all a rage and most S&C people are doing all the similar kind of work. So you might – anti-rotation would refer to limiting the amount of wasted rotation that you are putting out when you you move or run – so you might do things like your pile-off presses, pile-off presses, and um, take them from kneeling to standing and single leg where you're pressing the band out while it's trying to pull back in towards the, the bar or the cable machine. Um, you might do anti-extension work, which is anything on your, where you're on your front. Yep. So that might be um, starting with planks and then moving into your, um, what else? Here? You kind of got your ab wheel rollouts and your Swiss ball rollouts and uh, progressing your planks where you might just start sh- static, but then you start moving your hands forward and your hands back underneath you, and they're all they're all aimed at stopping you from collapsing and arching through your lower back, uh, which you don't want to be doing when you're running. So, it's basically when you're talking about the abs for the core, I, I, that's more kind of trunk stability to me, and that's it, it goes back to running when you want to hit the ground efficiently and you don't want to have any wasted yep. movement as you hit the ground and as you push away. Um, that's basically it. That's how, that's how I would kind of categorize the core work. And and I usually throw that in. I might throw some trunk exercises in throughout my session as accessory exercises. So I might do, you know, your set of your leg exercises, your lunges or squats, whatever it is. And then the second exercise might be a a banded, you know, rotational exercise or anti-rotation exercise. Um, and then, for some people, I might do a core, little core circuit at the end, yeah. see four exercises all hitting a different area. So, an anti extension one, an anti flexion one, anti lateral flexion. And they'll do that as many times as they can in 10 minutes, something like that. Because, I mean, there is an element, I think, anyway, of you, you kind of got to give people what they want as well. Like, you, you can, you, if you're smart enough or, or you've done it long enough, you know that you're going to get your nuts and bolts in and get yep. the right stuff done. But you still want to. You know, you want people to feel like they're getting what they want to get out of it, and and there is an element of yeah. that. Like I think if you do a set of sit-ups, it's not gonna it's not gonna ruin your technique or yep. make you tight all of a sudden from doing a couple of sets of sit-ups. And if you know if they do that and they feel like their abdominals have yeah. been worked, then cool. Like it's not not hurting yep. anyone because you know how people bounce from one thing one fad to another, and it's all the rage these days to, to say sit-ups are useless and crap. And yeah,
0: yeah yeah no definitely yeah I, I, yeah i'm i'm very similar like i like when i think of um yeah core control i'm sort of thinking of um motion control like yeah you you, um you, like a, every every person has you know a set of muscles that they might sort of underuse and and or um are lazy um and it's pro- probably um or they they, a lot of people don't know how to move certain body parts because they just never do like they've sort of got ingrained neuromuscular sort of patterns in their head and it's, it's kind of like awakening those and alerting someone to oh you can move your body in this way as well and trying to get people to activate certain muscles especially if like when you watch them run you sort of or if you look at the pain they've got or or you feel like that's sort of an aspect where they're falling short or falling down or not—they're not using that that muscle and and trying to yeah. get that. And it's, yeah, and I that classify that has, as, as um, better control. Around Coordination—it's
1: around and it's uh, not coordination yeah. in the way that juggling, juggling or serving a tennis ball or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's not that type of coordination. It's more just that internal sort of must- muscular coordination like the coordination between the muscle groups to work in a certain way and to be able to isolate them and control them and that kind of that kind of thing
0: yeah it's almost like that brain brain muscle um, um, coordination as well like trying to get like yeah like i've likened it in the past to sort of like an, an orchestra like so um, like you might be the conductor at the front and the conductor might regularly point to I don't know the violin and the um, the um the drums um but yeah. then they're, they're not they're not pointing to the person on the end with the recorder and that might be your glutes and um it's trying to get that conducted a point to the glutes as well when you're doing your, your normal movement pattern and and trying to get that person to to realize they're there and to integrate yeah. that into yeah their, i agree their it's their, the, the system, old teamwork their, analogy um, as well like normal you've got sort of motor pattern
1: five players out there but only two yeah. of them are doing all the work you get, it, you get injuries, whereas you can get those other three playing their role and doing a bit more, then it's going to reduce the load yep. on the, the two stars kind of thing. So, yep. yeah, look at it in a similar way.
0: That's brilliant, yeah. Um, one um, topic that I'm really fascinated and I've heard you talk about before um, was the effect that strength training can have um, on the hormonal system and how it can have an anabolic effect on um, One's hormonal system and and get the testosterone levels raising up, um, like the growth factor, the human growth factor in the in the body raising, and then also re- reducing cortisol and and potentially helping re- recovery. Um, um, yeah, like, yes,
1: like, uh, this what, is something.
0: It's like what tell us it is pretty simple, that, really. Like I um, can't
1: go into too much depth about it, but it's it's something I didn't really take into account um, until I started doing it, like myself. Yep. Started doing the weights with the running um, is just how good you would often feel afterwards, and then when you start reading about it and and learning, you realize that. So when you run, it's very it's catabolic. So you reach a catabolic state, and you're breaking yourself down. So that basically involves um, I think the main one main ones are cortisol and adrenaline, and when when you strength train, it's an atabolic adaption. So you, after you strength train, you get a release of growth hormone um, and testosterone, or it stimulates that anyway. And that aids in building muscle and also burning fat. And these things also are great for the athlete as they age, because as you get older, especially, you know, with your men, your testosterone levels drop uh, relative to your estrogen levels. And so what, what you'll find is, you you might finish your run and feel pretty tired, pretty lethargic. And then if you go into the gym later in the day or, or do some exercises after you, after you run, it just sort of shakes things up and, and sets you off into that um, recovery sort of recovery mode. And you just feel way better. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's written, I feel it myself, and I've had so many, like so many runners feel the same way. A, a lot of my guys come in on Sunday and they will do their long run in the morning and then... Um, they'll come in later on Sunday evening. And they also have the same thing. Like they walk in the door and they, they look like rubbish and they, they tell you they feel like rubbish. They've been home sitting on the couch all day and then they do their weights their and then they feel awesome. Like an hour later they walk out, they're ready to, they could do a track session the next day. Um, so I think it kind of almost just fast forwards you and gets you like a little free dip of, um, yeah. yeah, like the growth hormone and testosterone. So and people pay lots of money for that stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. I reckon it's like such a, yeah, I reckon it's such an unreal. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's a cool way to look at it because like you could quite easily um, go, Oh, after a two hour long run on a Sunday, like surely I shouldn't be doing some more, more strength training. Like surely that's just going to, um Dip me into sort of like. I was just going to really say really that. I was going to say like you want the um, sort of uh, the term, the minimal effective is, dose for uh, that. So uh, you don't yeah. want to
1: do your long run and some of these guys are doing thirty k's plus long runs as as you do. Yeah. Um, you probably you don't want to then come into the gym and be doing tons of technical stuff, tons of plyometrics yep. and all that kind of work. Um, you probably just come in and do a really good. Like you probably focus a little bit more than you would normally on the mobility and the activation work and that kind of that kind of jazz and then just hit your your meat and potatoes you know hit your main strength exercise get your squats and your dead done um and then get them out of there in 45 minutes kind of thing lot's it's it's also a good time to make sure that they get some yep. stretching in whereas you know sometimes you can get a bit lazy at home or yep um yeah but minimal effective dose so meaning that you you do the least yep. most the, the best bang for your buck so you do the least the least you can do for the yeah maximal gain. Yeah, sure.
0: And so like, are you, um, like with those experienced runners that have done it for a little while, um, what kind of. Um, In general or on the. And, and uh, are, are you aiming for what kind of um, strength parameters? Or on those days on a Sunday, say, um, well, where you're doing it. Most of the. Uh, again, that, it's different for um,
1: the different athletes depending on the event effect. they're doing. So, I mean, again, the middle distance guys, they're not doing. Yeah, they call it a long run, but they're not doing a long run on Sunday. they some of them do forty-five minutes, you know, like so. It's for them, it's all all guns blazing. They just do their usual thing and go hard. Um, and they're doing their depending on the time of the season, but probably lower reps, heavier weights. Um, yep. Sort of even down to three reps, like three to five kind of rep range. Um, whereas the the distance guys like yourself. Um, people like your your Matty Hudsons and your Tom Decantos and um, Jack Maxwell's guys like that. They're coming in. They'll probably do. I'll keep them in a rep range of kind of five to eight, and and making sure that they're working, but they're not totally fatigued by that eighth or the sixth rep, whatever the last rep may be. That they can still push a couple more out if they had to, and they're not going into too much neural fatigue. Um, and yeah. they might just do, you know three to four sets of, of six to eight reps. And you might maybe you do two mm-hmm. sets of eight and then two sets of six lifting the weight on, like picking the weight up on the last two sets of six reps. Um, they might do some some squats yep. or some deadlifts, whatever it is, that program. And then yep. after they've done those, the second exercise might be something where they're working on their weakness. It might be their, their hamstrings. So we might be doing some curls or some Nordics or whatever it is, uh, or they might be doing a single leg stability exercise and some calf work. Uh, but no, probably no more than three, sort of three lower limb exercises. Um, yeah, that's basically it. And I usually, usually the the first exercise is yep. the one where you focus on the lower reps. So, like nice. I said, your five to eight sort of rep range, and then the other exercises I kind of keep around
0: that sort of seven to ten, eight to ten range. And then in terms of like continuing on with the theme of structure, um, like when when do um, most of the runners that you see sort of structure their strength training in during the week, because that, that's a topic that a lot of people ask about. Um, uh, yeah. That's, and that's, um, that's and, the and answer. Whatever whenever works be best. <laughs> you know,
1: because because everyone's circumstances. in the perfect world answer is you would do your yes. track session. Yep. Say, say you're doing your track session on Tuesday and your other session yep. on Friday, you would do your weights. You would do your session in the morning, your running session first, you'd go home, you'd, fuel up, you'd have a rest, whatever. And then later in the day, 12 hours later or eight hours later, whatever it is, get, head to the gym and do your workout. And that way, again, going back to that recovery stuff, you're doing all your hard work on one day and then you're getting that growth hormone and almost active recovery kind of work done on, on the one day. And then you're going into the next day feeling better yep. than you would have. So you just you're doing yep. your easy run on the Wednesday or your midweek long run feeling great. Um, and then that's, yeah, you do the same thing on the Friday. Whereas for most people, they're working full-time or they're studying or whatever it is, or their track sessions are structured where they're training Tuesday night. Not they're not training Tuesday morning. So I'm not going to get them to do weights and plyos and all that sort of work on Tuesday morning and then go and do their 8 by one k at the track. It's just too much. There's too much injury risk. So a lot of those people will do a session in between so they'll do their session the track session on tuesday and then they might go and do the gym on wednesday and gym on sunday or monday friday that's that's usually the split if they're not doing it on the same day they'll do it the the wednesday sunday or the monday friday that's that's kind of what i found works for most people and it's individual in the sense as well that it depends on how they pull up from weights and strength work like some people pull up no no issues feel fine actually feel really good the next day and some people do feel a bit stiff and sore and you know usually people get used to that and their bodies adapt but it depends on that as well so those people you want to try and do it where it's you know a day away from their next track session or whatever it is but yeah that's that's my general
0: and you're largely talking about the the strength exercises there aren't you whereas like if someone um, was to do, I don't know, mobility work or 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 um, activation. Yeah, all, or all as I said before, all, yeah, nuts and bolts yeah, core, work, core I, work. I actually that can be done myself often, have harder. found
1: it's yeah. better to do a little bit of that, but do it every day. Yep. So, and you can easily do that. Like you, you chuck, you know, buy a set of those mini bands, thera, the little mini Thera bands, yep. um, and a gym mat, and a foam roller, and a spiky ball, whatever it is, and leave it in your car. Have one at, one in your car and one at home. And you just do do stuff throughout the day or before you run, you know, get out of the car, might drive to Centennial Park for a run, get out, go for a walk for a couple of minutes just to loosen the legs up, do some mobility and then get the band out and stand next to the car. And I'll do some crab walks and some leg abductions and some hip flexor exercises. And instead of trying to do three or four sets, you know, and really build capacity, I'm just using it as an activation exercise. So I'll just do one or two sets of each exercise and, it might not feel like you're doing much. You'll definitely feel it when you start running, like you're a bit more activated and you feel better straight from the gun. But um, if you're doing a little bit often and you do that routinely and you're consistent with it, you'll get great benefits from it. It's a really good way to do it. And and same as like doing your, you know, you might be standing at home, you know, holding your baby (laughs) or whatever it is and you stand there and do 10 calf raises three sets of 10 calf raises while you're doing that like it's still it's work (laughs) and it's good and the body likes to keep moving it's better than sitting on the couch for three or four hours straight that's the worst thing for the body so yeah you can do that activation and core work yeah every day do 10 minutes of it twice a day every day probably better than doing it once a week for an hour
0: i I, in my opinion yeah oh i i i agree wholeheartedly with that like um, and it's so easy to, you know, establish as part of your routine. If you're going for a run anyway, um, yeah. if your first and You're first just getting it done. Is, is you're just getting thing. it done regularly. You're, it might be a set of clams. It, it might part be of your routine. like, you know, depend, and I think, depending on
1: your yeah, um, injury history as well. Like I have to stay on top of, for me, I my biggest thing is tendon injuries. So I have to stay right on top of isometrics. So I just keep all my... Isometrics in there all the time. Yep. So I'll, oh, before I go for a run, I'll do, you know, two or three sets of forty-second hamstring bridges, just to get get the blood pumping to that area and keep it strong. Or your isometric calf calf sits or calf holds, if you've got Achilles problems, things like that. Yep. And I, I just think it's it's way more achievable to do that than it is for a lot of people to put aside that time to go get to the gym, go to the gym, go through the whole thing. A lot of people don't actually enjoy it getting home again, it's like a two-hour process rather than doing 10 or 15 minutes, you know, 10 minutes before you run and then finish your run and do three one-minute planks. And the next day, do three one-minute side planks. And the next day, do three sets of 10 push-ups. Like, if you're doing that yep. week in, week out,
0: you're going to get enough benefits that you need for, as a runner.
1: Yeah. Yep. Same as you're running. Yeah. Not, <laughs> it's all the no no same as you're running.
0: Exercise, is there? It's, just, it's more the actual doing it, isn't it? Consistency. <laughs> yeah and what like um has really helped me with doing a few of those activation exercises is um even just that concept of um uh increasing your, your um neural drive to that certain muscle um you can have like a, a strengthening effect quite acutely like um you know several years ago i, I thought oh it's going to take six weeks to get a stronger muscle so and, the, and it sort of like makes you sort of think oh no nah, uh you know that's too hard Um, But just knowing that you can have quite an an acute strengthening effect just by, you know, doing, um, you know, 30 activations of a muscle that you underuse or you're a bit lazy with. And then, like, you're suddenly using it, like, neurally, like, you're sending a stronger and neural drive to that muscle. So you're activating more of those motor units and and using a greater potential of that muscle yep. like i think yeah well um, i, and I that in that I reckon, what you just said oh, then the I, potentiation i like try to use that to stuff understand. in the gym as
1: well and there's yeah. you know how you do the contrast and supersets where you might do a set of heavy squats and then you go from the heavy squats and yep. every single muscle fiber and motor unit is activated from doing those squats and then you get them to go and do th- um, three box jumps after that and that you're teaching your body to therefore you yeah. utilize more because more has been turned on pr- prior to do that effort and that, that yep. therefore you become more efficient and more powerful and more explosive, or whatever it is. It's the same, same thing. Yeah. Exactly the same.
0: Yeah. So you're almost doing the same thing before you go for a run. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, I, I'm, I've got one more um, uh, question. Cause I, I've realized um, I've held you up for a bit, but um, yeah, there was just one more that I wanted to go over. It was about, um, and it, this is something that, you know, Oh, ten years ago, I, yeah. I would have gone. I oh, never give like I would never give strength exercises to an older runner because I feel like I'd just break them. Um, yeah. But the 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 um the literature and um uh, like these days um yeah, I, I yeah really does that's, suggest that's that one um, that's that's exactly what older can runners understand need. The, like, you
1: mind sort of misnomer with that? that? But I I think it's almost worth skipping one running session and and doing the weight session or the strength session. Um, because you as i said before your testosterone starts to decrease your muscle strength your power yep. all that starts to decrease as you get older and it's just it is how it is what it is so you do need to spend that extra time maintaining that strength and you also hear people talking about on the running side of things that those people do need to be doing more of the the hill sprints and and the a little bit more not not overdoing it but keeping that speed there like it's the old use it or lose it yep. rather than, because you're as you get older you can maintain yeah. and improve continue to improve your aerobic capacity but it's the other yep. elements that start to fall apart and I mean I'm starting to feel it myself now I think about and going back to Michael Nitschke's interview the other week playing basketball um, I used to be able to yeah. um, dunk not amazingly but I could and if I thought even thought about going to a basketball court now and trying to dunk Yep. There's like, I just I know I wouldn't be able to do it, and I'd just be scared to even try. And that's someone who's I'm doing strength training and I'm trying to maintain that explosive capacity. So it definitely starts to wane. You know, like you're in the space of ten years, your your power output and explosiveness and muscle capacity does start to drift. So you really need to really need to get on top of it. I think the main area that's been looked at is um, calf strength as well. You see a lot of a lot of papers flying around saying how important it is to uh to get that calf strength happening. You get the yep. old man calf tears and the Achilles problems and all that kind of work. So, um but yeah, I've got I've got a number of um older masters yeah. runners that come in. Um probably got someone who's close to eighty. Um, and then another bunch of guys that are probably in their um late fifties. Still doing marathons yeah. and track races and my brother's forty-nine. Um, he does strength work once or twice a week and he's found it's really um watered off a lot of injuries for him. And he I mean, he's just convinced it's just as simple as like blood flow and tissue connectivity and tissue health and all that sort yep. of stuff. So but yeah, definitely, definitely if, I would actually say it's more yep. important for the older older athlete than it is for the younger athlete. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, I agree, and I like that idea of dropping a run because, um, like, I've seen a number of runners keep trying to train like they used to. Um, like, you know, they might be late thirties, um, you know, forties, and and they're still training, trying to train like they used to yeah. because they like oh, I used to be able to do it, so I should be able to, and they're, they're trying to replicate what they did as a twenty-five-year-old. Um, and um, I, I like that whole idea of dropping yeah. a run because then that drops your running load, but then. You know, adding a, a strength session in so that increases your strength tolerance. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, really like what you said about calves. Like, um, there's a lot of papers that have shown like um, as you as you get older, you you your Achilles tendon really loses some of its stiffness, and and that that muscle mass in your calf really drops off. And and as we know as yeah, runner, runners, like, we really yeah. need that calf. Yeah, sure Rely ups. on that calf a lot for our our, our power and. It tops a lot of load. Yeah, really, really good advice there. Um, well, actually, I know I said that was the last question. Um, there was just one thing about periodization that um, I thought might be just qu- good to quickly go over if you can. Um, like, uh, um, in terms of like with some of the higher level runners that you're working with, that you or, or runners that you've worked with for a couple of years, like, how do you structure? Um, like a preparation, um, so like a ten-week preparation leading into their main goal event, with your strength training routine. And um, like I've I've seen it on your Instagram, like you do a bit of like Olympic lifts, you do the Plyo, um, like, and and then you do the heavy strength training. Like, are yeah, you some it's of that in again, and it's, indivi- and, it's and individualized. Like in terms of, I mean, like I might use you the same thing from a few ten weeks out. People in
1: one category, but it's. It's sort of more about the event. So yeah. like for a track runner, you kind of know, it, it is more, you can use the more traditional models of periodization yeah. and build towards a, a certain event. You know, like you've got your racer throughout the season, but there's there's state or there's nationals or whatever that you've got to get to. And for those ones, I will start with, you know, they've got their winter off season and in the winter, you're really going for it and, you, and you're and you doing longer, you know, more more volume of, of, of work. And it, and it really mirrors your running, to be honest. Like it's obviously in winter for a track runner, yep. you build your volume a bit more and you're building your capacity. You're doing the same thing in the gym. That's when you try yep. to maybe hit some gym PBs and trying to get as strong as you can. Um, and, and also working on those, you know, building capacity in the hamstrings or whatever the weak, weak area might be yep. with Calves, as we just said, might be the, the problem the problem area for the runner. And then we get more specific as we hit the season and we start to reduce the volume. So the, in, in the, in the off season, you might be doing five sets of, of five squats. So you're doing 25 total in that session. But then as you get into the season, you might drop it back down to three sets of five and then three sets of three. And those three reps might be at the same intensity that you were doing the five at, but you're just cutting it two reps short. So you're not getting into that, that fatigue. Um, plyometrics might become more more low amplitude um i might do a phase where i do as i said before the cluster sets where i'm trying to build some sort of power endurance um that would that would be like my final little block before i just peak and maintain and then once you're maintaining i reckon you only need to probably do one session a week one like every seven to ten days as long as you're still going into the gym and maybe doing like a set of squats And instead of deads and just doing some mobility and activation work, that's, that's really all you need. Um, marathon runners. I try and try and ease off well before the race. So I usually get them to like three or four weeks out. And then once they get to that three or four weeks out, I really kind of bring it right back and just get them doing basic body weight exercises. So they're keeping up the movement. Um, and all that kind of work and just staying in the routine, but they're, not, they're definitely not trying to gain any more at that point. Um, you might even yep. take the eccentric um, component out of some exercises towards the end of the program. So like on a, yep. on a deadlift, you might pick it up, but then you just drop it back down on the mats. So you're not doing that lengthening under tension, uh, which, are, which is the part that can leave you with a bit of muscle damage and, and DOMS generally. So we're just working on that explosive component, start again, explosive, yep. start again. Um, and I've messed around with all different types of things over the years in terms of like, whether it's better to do circuits. So like a a marathon runner, whether it's better to do some sort of strength endurance work at the start of the block and then build into some maximum strength or do it the other way around. Um, but yeah, there's so many different ways you can do about it. There's do, do things. That's another reason I love, love what I do. You can kind of, there's sort of an art and a science to it. You can be creative and try things yourself and,
0: it sounds exactly like um, running coaching, like um, like it sounds exactly like running training, like um, like how um, as you head towards that taper um, zone for, for the marathon, like three to four weeks out, like like you said, you, you um, drop the frequency of sessions to what one per week. Um, you you know you do some body weight, so you drop yep. in there. Um, just tapping in, kind of tapping into the systems, and, but not um, and not then trying you're to make games. Re- reducing gains anyway. reps, like reducing the volume, It's like it. pretty. Um, when you think about it in that way, it's pretty simple. Yeah, you,
1: you mirror, and and it's yep. a lot easier with the track runners, yeah, to yeah. to really plan ahead than it is for the um yep. the marathon runners because they're just racing all the time. So you just you more than anything have to kind of constantly be doing something, but then pick your moments when you know that they is. don't have an important race for. For six or seven yeah. weeks, and then you use like a four-week block there to really try and get some gains, and then back it off again. But it's,
0: oh, uh, it's so really ideal. This, this period yeah. now with COVID nineteen yeah. is, is kind time of to a, be doing a that. nice period really for but people uh, to be putting. Yeah. I guess in a, terms a, a of a like of technical um, stuff, like basin.
1: um, I what yeah. I would call it is the, um agile periodization, yeah. where you're just kind of moving up and down, but you've always got all the qualities happening, if that makes sense. Like you, you're always – and like this, again, it's like you're running training. So you're always doing – with your running, you might always be doing a little bit of speed. Yeah. But you might be focusing more so like on the on the threshold work. And then later on, the threshold work might drop down, but it'll still be there, right? You might not do your 30-minute tempo. You might do three by 10 minutes. So you're still doing it, but it's not as intense. And the speed work will, will pick up dramatically. Yep. And that's just – the Same with the weights for agile periodization, yep. it's constantly. I'm always doing a bit of power and a bit of plyometrics and a bit of strength, but the focus will kind of shift on which one gets a bit more attention. Um, in each phase, that's that's probably the main philosophy I would say I follow.
0: And is that, um, is that, um, sort of a periodization yeah. schedule that yep. you would more use for, say, the distance runner? Um, because they're always a few weeks away from a race, say, like, so that, yeah. Um, yeah, sort of, exact, it's pretty similar actually along the lines of how Ben... From any one thing, living, but, yeah, sort of but you, if you're trying to um, maintain that the high not, output not
1: in one category for too long, then yeah, you're probably going to get run down and you're going to plateau. So you do need to kind of pull away from it a little bit and go and focus on something else, but yeah.
0: Yeah, nice. Oh, right, David, thanks so much for that chat. Like, covered some really cool stuff. Um, and I'm so grateful for your time and, um, yeah, all the valuable information that you provided to everyone. Um, yeah, ha- ha- how's best? Um, um, oh, they can someone hit me up on – I'm not and they're I'm really massive keen. on social um, media. So like, I do, connect do some, with you. How's best some posts that, um, and all that kind of work, but
1: I, I bounce between <laughs> not wanting to use it at all and then thinking I better do something so people know I'm around. But um, Instagram is probably the best one to hit me up on, um, and that's just the yep. right fit PT. <laughs> um and facebook you can add me if you want or strava or whatever contact me there just under my name dave yeah david costello um and email address um is dmcostello 15 at yahoo.com.au um you can hit me up on my email i'm always always happy to answer questions even if you've just got a simple question about your training um Oh, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks very much for having me on. Really love your show and love what you're doing. Nice. All right. Well, thanks so much, David. Good luck with your running.
0: See you, mate. No, nah, pleasure.